everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Jacqueline Esser, a public defender running for district attorney in Honolulu, Hawaii. Jackie was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and moved to Hawaii in 2000 to attend the University of Hawaii at Manoa. She said, I'm running for prosecutor because I have seen firsthand how our criminal justice system is failing the people of Hawaii and wasting taxpayer dollars. I am the first deputy public defender to run for Honolulu prosecutor. I know how broken our criminal justice system is, and I know how to fix it. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm excited to be here. So, uh, well, we start out by uh, talking a bit about your background and what led to your decision to run for district attorney. Sure. So I have been a career public defender. I started at the um, office in 2009, and I've, you know, seen, as you said, been on the front lines of the criminal justice system, and I've seen firsthand how it is destroying lives and wasting millions of dollars each year, uh, but doing nothing to make us safer. My, my views are also shaped by my personal experience. Uh, my, you know, I've been both a victim of crime and I've experienced family members cycle through the criminal justice system. My grandfather worked at a small convenience store where he was held up at gunpoint one night over a pack of cigarettes and he was shot three times and he later died. That trauma his death had on my family, my mother, it carried over into my generation. And for my oldest brother, that trauma carried out in the form of substance use addiction. For my youngest brother, that trauma carried over in the form of mental illness, which ultimately caused him to take his own life in 2016. So through all of these experiences, I am led to believe and know that our criminal legal system is failing to heal the harm that crime causes, and we are relying on our jails and prisons to treat mental illness uh, and substance use addiction, which only causes more harm and trauma for generations. So I'm kind of curious because, you know, you describe this really horrific history, and it would seem like you would be kind of this law and order type that, uh, that wants to throw the book at everybody. Uh, how come you went the other way? 
Well, and again, I think it goes down to my life experiences. The, the murder or the death of my grandfather, the, the man was, uh, the man who was accused was ultimately, there was a trial and he was found guilty and he was sentenced. Um, but my family was never given the support it needed to get through what had happened and how to process this trauma. And so people assume that victims of violent crime just want incarceration, but I know that's not what every victim wants. And it's definitely not what every victim needs in order to move on from that experience. And so I think with that, um, and then my experience as a public defender, also seeing my brother cycle through the system on drug charges uh, and really the destabilization that caused him. uh, And it wasn't until he was able to receive the right support at the right time, he was able to move on. But now he has to deal with the conviction on his record. It's harder for him to get jobs. And so all of these experiences lead me to conclude that what we are choosing to criminalize and the way we are relying on our jails and prisons to solve all the problems is doing more harm and, and really not, we're treating the symptoms, but we're not solving the root causes. And so not only are individuals' lives destroyed for uh, their lifetime, but really it goes on for generations. What is the current DA's office like? So currently in Honolulu, the we have an acting prosecutor. And he has also filed and he is running for office in the 2020 election. Uh, the way the office is run, it's a very tough on crime, charge everything. And because of that, we are seeing a lot of very serious filing cases get dismissed because the court systems just can't handle the amount of cases currently uh, in in the system. And uh, really, since Honolulu became an elected prosecutor position in 1981, that has been the mentality of, of the office. And who exactly are you running against? Just the one candidate or more? No. So there is six. Let me just pause and count. Uh, So Dwight Natamoto is the acting prosecutor. He recently filed. Uh, Myself included. There is three other candidates. So for a total of five. And and do they do they kind of go the gambit or are they mostly on the law and order side? Uh, they are. I would classify them all as law and order as being former prosecutors. Uh, all of them have that background. Uh, there is it is sort of on a sliding scale. There are some candidates that are, uh, I would classify as extreme 
law and order candidates, um, you know, saying that we have to charge every single case and uh, treatment doesn't work and you just need to incarcerate. And then there is one candidate who's a former prosecutor who is uh, believes that drug, drug possession and people who are suffering from substance use um, should go into drug court. So he's advocating for broadening the diversion courts, which in Honolulu, we have mental health court, drug court, and veterans treatment court. But I would say the majority of, um, or actually all of the candidates are, are law and order, uh, very tough on crime and believe that our jails and prisons are appropriate and and uh, for rehabilitation, and that's where people should go if they commit, quote, crime. And the current office is facing a bit of a scandal? Yes. So uh, the, current, the current prosecutor, his name is Keith Conishiro. He's currently on paid leave, and we are waiting the federal, uh, the federal government to indict him on charges any day. And uh, what essentially happened is that the former chief of police, his name is Luike Aloha, um, was married to a high-ranking deputy at the prosecuting attorney's office. Her name is Catherine K. Aloha. Uh, long story short, Catherine K. Aloha what, framed her uncle, uh, saying that he stole her mailbox, and it was on videotape, and the feds decided to prosecute him, and a trial started. Chief Kealoha, the former chief of police, testified in that trial. And on the stand, this very experienced chief of police said in front of the jury that his, that the uncle was, a, he had a prior conviction, which he knew was not appropriate. And um, it ended in a mistrial. Well, after that, the Fed started looking into it. There's the federal public defender at the time representing um, the uncle who was framed of this mailbox theft, got the feds to look closely into it. And this scandal unraveled where essentially the chief of police, Louis Kealoha, was using his uh, police officers to frame this innocent man. Um, Kathy Kaloha's uncle. And once they investigated it more closely, they dropped the charges against the uncle and they pressed charges against the chief of police and his wife, Kathy Kaloha, and several of the officers involved that had uh, essentially framed the uncle, you know, forged police reports uh, and things like that. And a trial was held about a year ago and they were found guilty and they were supposed to be sentenced a few weeks ago but because of the coronavirus the court uh, found that it was a public safety matter public health matter and continued the sentencing so because of that we don't have our current elected prosecutor is on paid leave because he has received a target letter from the federal government that sounds like something out of the movies Yes, it, it should be a Lifetime movie. It probably will one day. 
my wife will enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so talk more broadly, what issues is Hawaii facing in the criminal justice system? Sure. Well, Honolulu is fortunate in that we are not, um, we don't have that many murders and very serious violent crimes as other big cities our size. Um, Honolulu is, makes up the whole island of Oahu, and there's roughly around a million people within that jurisdiction. Um, and so we are fortunate to have a very low murder rate, um, you know, per our population. Uh, but we have a very bloated criminal justice system in that we deal with all of our problems um, through criminalizing. And we have a very serious homeless population here, very high homeless population here um, because of the cost of living and the, the lack of affordable housing. Uh, we also ha you know, have a lot of substance use, mental illness. Uh, that contribute to to this problem, and instead of finding real solutions and providing affordable housing, our system we just rely on our criminal legal system to arrest these people, cycle them through our jails for a few days, and release them, you know, without any kind of wraparound services, and so. I would say that our criminal legal system here is um, just bloated and we need to stop using it to solve our problems that are really public health problems and it shouldn't be in the criminal legal system. And I find myself asking this question no matter what the jurisdiction is, uh, but uh, it, it just seems like in Hawaii, uh, you know, a very liberal uh, state uh, and Honolulu, a very liberal city, that uh, you would have more progressive policies? We actually are not a, a progressive city. I wouldn't classify us as a progressive city at all. We're a very uh, blue state where, you know, everyone is a Democrat here, but we, we like to refer them as dinos, Democratic in name only. Um, and it's essentially everyone just runs on a Democratic ticket to get elected. Um, but as far as uh, our, you know, quote, criminal justice, anything like that, it's extremely conservative. I would say we're one of the most conservative states. Um, and, and so you would think in a state like Hawaii where, uh, you know, we are an island state and everyone is... Uh, closely, you know, two degrees of separation, um, that we would be more compassionate, especially in our criminal legal system, but, but unfortunately we're not. So what issues are you focused on in your campaign? Um, so I, I essentially want to stop using our criminal legal system to deal with issues of substance use, poverty, and mental illness. And these are currently all criminalized and they should not be. And as prosecutor, you know, you have the discretion on who and what to charge. And for me, those, uh, quote, crimes sh should all be diverted. And by doing that, we save resources. 
um, one, we can provide wraparound services to these individuals and and ha- have them stop cycling through our jails and prisons and the system. And we save on our budget by doing that because we won't have to pay our prosecutors to be in court um, to prosecute these cases. And by doing that, we can focus on the serious violent offenses like murder, rape, uh, you know, robbery, those type of fences. Um, and what are your thoughts on bail reform? Uh, so I, I want to end it. Uh, I do not believe that bail should ever be a condition of somebody's release. I really like what Tessa Bodine has done in San Francisco. And on day one, I want to adopt a similar policy. Um, how do we reduce mass incarceration? So, not only do we have to stop prosecuting, you know, mental illness, substance abuse, uh, crimes of poverty, sex work, um, but we also have to look at the people who are currently sentenced in our prisons that are serving. Uh, Sentences for things, for example, in um, Hawaii, recently we just amended the law that drug possession of, of a substance uh, under a certain amount uh, is a Class B felony. And um, so substances besides marijuana, so, you know, methamphetamine, heroin, things like that, Class B felony. It's also a repeatable offense, meaning that if you picked up another crime within a certain amount of time frame, it was mandatory prison. So that was recently changed, I believe, in 2017, pretty recently. But we still have a lot of people in our prison that are serving a prison sentence for simply drug possession. And so we need to set up a sentence review unit and have our attorneys go through these cases that are currently serving prison sentences for crimes that my office would not be prosecuting, that we would instead be diverting to lead law enforcement assisted diversion or other social work, social agencies to provide wraparound services and and absolutely not seeking jail time for. And so, you know, I, we definitely have to tackle this. If it's, if we're ever going to solve this before my daughter is my age, um, very aggressively. And uh, so those are some of the things that I, I you know, is, a, is my priority if I'm elected. So in your campaign literature, or at least on your website, uh, you mentioned that uh, you want to focus more on prosecuting violent crimes than the low-level offenses, and you've mentioned a little bit about that. But a lot of reformers don't believe you can actually carve into the incarceration population without going after violent crimes. So uh, is, is there anything you're planning to do about that? Well, I, and I absolutely agree. Um, you know, we want to prosecute these offenses and have them end in just conviction, but um, that doesn't mean that we're going to be advocating for prison in, in every single case if there is a guilty conviction. Um, what we do know is that incarceration 
perpetuates cycles of of trauma and trauma is a form of violence. So is incarceration and violence does not solve violence. So we have to deal with violence as a whole as a public health issue. And we have to invest in prevention programs like credible messengers and evidence-based interventions that we know scientifically can reduce violence dramatically. We need to start investing in our schools and community spaces, job training, housing, healthcare access, if we want to reduce violence. Uh, We absolutely know jails don't do that. So my office is going to invest in these programs. And we know this can't be changed overnight, um, but we need to start putting our money in those resources uh, so that we can stop violence from occurring because we don't want any more victims. We want to stop crime from happening at all. We know that incarceration does not do that. Uh, What are you planning to do about uh, police accountability? Obviously the scandal going on has something to do with police accountability, but in terms of more generally, what would you do? Yeah, I absolutely will not tolerate it. Uh, we will never have another Kealoha or Kanashiro under my watch. Uh, there, you know, it, it, there, through the Kealoha scandal, we've seen several officers who have been prosecuted federally and then found guilty for falsifying police reports. And we know it happens more frequently than the public thinks. Uh, you know, public defenders know this uh, more, I think, than the normal public. But uh, I won't tolerate it. And, you know, prosecutors use police testimony and they rely on it to deprive someone of their individual or or liberty. So we absolutely cannot tolerate police officers who lie or forge on police reports. My office will prioritize training on how to uh, sniff out a dirty officer. And uh, because of that, we will have the most trustworthy police force in the nation, and uh, we won't tolerate any lying. And I think you said something really important just now that a lot of people don't don't really recognize. You know, um, my organization has been in the courts now for 10 years watching court cases, but you know, the people that are really on the front lines who really know what's going on in the criminal justice system and know what the police are doing, those are public defenders, right? Right. No, absolutely. I mean, we see it uh, all the time. Um, and and we see it when our clients, so you read the police report and you're like, oh, absolutely no way, there's no defense here. And then you go and you meet with the client. And you hear this completely different side of what happens and you start really going through the evidence and you can see uh, what what they're saying absolutely makes sense. And the police uh, change the story in a way that they know will will lead to a conviction in court. And you file a motion to suppress and you have a hearing and it's obvious that what the client is telling you is the truth but our system of justice is not set up to acknowledge that and it's to you know 
to convict and cycle people through as quick as possible. So even though it's so clear on the record that what the police officer is saying in this particular case is just impossible, uh, how they recounted in their police report, the judges 99.9% of the time will find the officer credible and, and not the client. And the motion to suppress is denied and the evidence is good. Yeah, it's so, interesting. Prosec- yeah, sorry, go on. I cut you off. Oh, no problem. Uh, you know, it's interesting. When, when I first started this, uh, of course, judges are no better than they ever were. Um, and so you almost always lose when, when you have a motion in front of a judge. But, you know, when we first started in, in 2010, um, you know, the police officers would say something and the jury would just automatically believe it. But after mm-hmm. Ferguson... That changed, and so people are a lot more skeptical now about what the police claim. Are, are you noticing that too? Not so much in Honolulu. Uh, you know, Honolulu is uh, everyone has a auntie or an uncle who's in the police force. Um, for the most part, even despite this recent scandal that was so publicized, for the most part, the community really respects and uh, appreciate the Honolulu Police Department. And in most of my cases that I've tried in front of the jury, you know, there's always some individuals who who will say, uh, who will agree with the statement, police are humans, and like all humans, they make mistakes. Um, But for the most part, I find that people categorize them as subhuman that these they're these individuals who never make mistakes and they would never lie and they're not biased like the rest of us so here in Honolulu it's a different dynamic and we have I don't feel like it has made as much progress as you're seeing uh in other states regarding this interesting um, so tell us about the Prosecutorial Transparency Act. Sure. So this was a bill that was uh, put in front of the legislator this year, and uh, it essentially uh, makes the prosecutor's office publicize and 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 also come up with ability to account for who they're charging, what they're charging, and uh, with noting the demographics, uh, you know, age, race, things like that, and make that public to the people. And so what that allows is that we are able to look at those and find out patterns that is going, that's happening. And if we see that for example, Native Hawaiians. Um, so here in Hawaii, Native Hawaiians are overrepresented in our in our jails and prisons. Uh, Native Hawaiians make up 18% of our adult population and roughly 40% of our incarcerated population. And so, if right now the prosecutor's office, uh, they if they do have any kind of record keeping on those statistics, they do not make it public. And so if we adopt, uh, you know, whether the legislator adopts, passes this bill and it becomes law, um, regardless, my office is going to start uh, tracking this data and making it public 
so that we can see what offenses are being charged that are predominantly affecting Native Hawaiians. And we can also track the sentencing, you know, per race. If someone is, let's just take drug possession, uh, which depending on the amount is a class B felony here. So that's punishable up to five years in prison. Most people, depending on their background, will get probation for this offense. But if we see through tracking this data that Native Hawaiians are disproportionately being sentenced to prison, that is something that we can address. The public can see it and we can, and we can bring that to light. Interesting. So I was actually going to ask you uh, about racial disparities. Uh, So how are you going to address, uh, it sounds like you have uh, some pretty serious racial disparities going on. Yes, we absolutely do. And and we, we see the disparate treatment of Native Hawaiians as well as other uh, other populations in Hawaii. We have a very small uh, Black population. Uh, I believe it's, uh, they make up 3% of the adult population here in Hawaii, but they are incarcerated at a rate of about 5%. Uh, so uh, we do see, um, you know, Native Hawaiians are definitely the most impacted and we see it from the arrest the stage from arrest to what charge they're they're ultimately charged with and then the sentence that they're given and so as prosecutor first I am going to mandate that all employees go through implicit bias training and uh, again, through the Transparency Act, uh, we will be able to look at what the data shows if we find that Native clients uh, are being charged with marijuana possession or, you know, whatever offense it is at a higher rate, we just won't charge that offense to address it. Uh, and then also we have to look at sentences. And so... Uh, at sentencing, you know, you might be dealing with a biased judge. And so the prosecutor will be aware of that through their training on um, what to be advocating for. So they're not going to, you know, currently prosecutors tend to just advocate for prison here. Um, It's hardly, it's rare that you see a prosecutor saying this person should be on probation. Um, even if the person has a record that would lead to a reasonable person saying, yes, this is a probation case. Um, it's just the mentality of that office um, where it's an office that you're promoted through the number of convictions you get, the, you know, the, the harshest, the amount of jail time you're able to get. And so the metric of success in the prosecutor's office needs to change. It should not absolutely not be about uh, conviction rates or how much jail time you get someone. And so those are some of the ways that I intend on addressing the disparate impact of Native Hawaiians and other minorities in the system, as well as engaging, um, you know, community leaders. There's a, a lot of Native Hawaiian uh, leaders and organizations out there that have studied this issue for years and they've come up with solutions. So I want to work with them and, um, drafting a policy that on day one, we can really, really start tackling this issue. 
And why do you think the disparity is there? Uh, well, you know, it, it has, I would say it's just the history of Hawaii. Uh, we, you know, Hawaii was overthrown and through that overthrow of the kingdom, uh, white Americans took over and they forced Hawaiians not to speak their language. Um, they bought up all their land in an island community that had no idea of what privatization of land meant. Um, it put them in uh, land, you know, out. It wasn't the beachfront properties that we see in Waikiki or other wealthy areas of the island. And it's been, you know, a hundred years of racism. And, and I, through that, we uh, have these stereotypes that lead to higher arrest and uh, higher sentences. Yeah, I just wanted people to understand kind of the history there uh, since, uh, you know, I jumped into the middle of the question rather than the beginning of the question. Um, when is the election? The election is November 20th, 20th, 2020, but the primary election is August 8th, 2020, and the primary will be the top two candidates. Uh, we'll go on to the general if no candidate takes over 50%. Interesting. So so the actual election, uh, if it goes to a runoff and with six candidates uh, seems likely, um, is actually after the general election. Uh, no, it is with the general election. Oh, November okay. November 20th. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I got yes. it. Got it. So August eighth is the primary, and then if no one takes over fifty percent, if no single candidate takes over fifty percent, the top two will go on to the general, which is in November. All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we have to wrap up? I don't think so, David. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, these are, I always enjoy talking about these issues and, and thank you for your time and allowing me to share my thoughts. Thank you for being on our show. That was Jackie Esser. She's a public defender. She's in Honolulu, Hawaii. And just like everyone else we've had on the show, she is a reform minded district attorney candidate. And she's going to be running in Honolulu, and it sounds like they have a lot of need for reform there. This has been Everyday Injustice. I am your host, David Greenwald, and join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening, Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.